0: In this passage, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, starting at verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. "'You are doing the deeds of your Father.' They said to him, "'We were not born of fornication. "'We have one Father, that is God.' Jesus said to them, "'If God were your Father, you would love me. "'For I proceeded forth and have come from God, "'for I have not even come on my own initiative, "'but he sent me. "'Why do you not understand what I am saying?' It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, "'I do not have a demon, "'but I honor my Father, "'and you dishonor me. "'But I do not seek my glory. "'There is one who seeks and judges. "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'if anyone keeps my word, "'he shall never see death.' "'The Jews said to him, "'Now we know that you have a demon. "'Abraham died, and the prophets also, "'and you say, "'if anyone keeps my word,' He shall never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him. But I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we appreciate this Word of God. We know it is your Word. It's our life. It's truth. It teaches us the way of righteousness. We pray, Lord, that we will embrace the highway of holiness and the path of righteousness. We want to, Lord, be more like Christ. We want to stand firm in the faith. And we want to be true believers and we want to, Lord, proclaim the true gospel to others and to proclaim it faithfully. Teach us, Lord, from this, how we ought to interact with those who reject, who deny, who blaspheme, who slander the name of Christ and even us. May we stand firm with courage, with boldness to proclaim your word in the name of Christ. Amen. In verse 31. The Apostle John has been teaching us, he's been teaching and showing us that it is possible for people to have a superficial faith, a belief in Christ that is not a true belief. In verse 31, he said, those Jews who had believed Him, whatever Christ had been preaching earlier, by verse 31, those Jews believed what Christ preached. However, he shows us from this passage, it wasn't a real faith, it was not a true faith, it was not a genuine faith, it was a superficial faith. It was a faith that was on the surface only. He's showing us that from in the rest of this chapter. We've already seen some evidence of it in the previous part, that is in verses 31 to 47. We just read that part. And it is quite obvious that true believers would never attack Christ and speak of Christ in the way that they did. Well, we continue with this illustration of how they are not true believers, and in fact, they deny the things that Christ says. They deny His identity. They deny His ministry. They blaspheme Him. They blaspheme God the Father. And they even seek to put Him to death. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? These unbelievers or bogus believers, these unbelievers now attack Christ because of what he's been saying about the truth and them being of the devil. So now they are accusing him of being of the devil. Both of being a Samaritan and having a demon. That is, a Samaritan, he had a mixed religion. He mixed some things from the Old Testament with paganism, and he lived in a region north in the northern part of Israel that was disdained by the Jews who lived in the southern part of Israel. Even the Samaritans had a mixed race or a mixed ancestry because When the Assyrian Empire destroyed that northern part of Israel, many Assyrians or others in the empire came and migrated in that northern part, and the Jews there intermarried with them, and so the Samaritans are a mixed race. They are not purely Jewish. So they use that insult to be a Samaritan against Christ. They not only do that, but where did the Samaritans get their false religion? From Satan. And therefore they say, you have a demon. So the demons, or Satan, who influenced the Samaritans to have a mixed religion, a false religion, that has some elements of the truth from the Old Testament, but not all of it. They're accusing Jesus of being a demonic Samaritan. The Samaritans being influenced by Satan, the devil. So Jesus is one of them. They know he's really a Jew, but they heap this insult against him that he's a demonic Samaritan. Well, Jesus answers that. He answers it going to the root of the issue, that is, the demonism or Satan, in verse 49. Since that was the recent exchange in the previous paragraph, Jesus accuses them of being of the devil, and then they accuse him of being of the devil. Jesus answers them, And proceeds, verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. He categorically rejects having a demon, being demon possessed, influenced by the devil, controlled by the devil. Jesus is not that way. There can be no proper association with the character of Christ and the devil. It's mutually exclusive. They are in separate categories. Either one is for Christ or he is for the devil. Jesus says he's not having a demon. He does not um, have the devil possessing him, controlling him. So if he's not, then who is? They are, like he said in verse 44. You are of your father The devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Whenever Jesus spoke the truth, they rejected it. And because they reject the truth, automatically we know they belong to the devil. Not Christ, but they do. Further, he says, I honor my Father and you dishonor me. His whole ministry was to honor the Father. And he attached his ministry to the Father, such as in verse 42. If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. That means that if Christ is there to honor the Father and they dishonor Christ, they're also dishonoring God the Father. There is no way to love God, to know God, to fear God, to believe in God, to say that God is in harmony with us unless we are in harmony with Christ. It must be that way. We must honor Christ. Christ and never dishonor him. Verse 50 But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Jesus means he's not after some kind of sinful, selfish pursuit of his own glory. He did not come that way. He came to do the will of the Father, to always do that which is pleasing to the Father. Verse 29, John eight twenty nine, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. He came to please the Father. He came to do the will of the Father. Therefore, He wasn't seeking for His own glory in some uh, selfish, self-centered way. He was not about that. There is one who seeks and judges. On the other hand, God the Father, He is going to seek for that which is right and true, and He who is on His side and who is not on His side. And on that day of judgment, God will judge. He will judge the wicked, all unbelievers, especially those who came to the knowledge of the truth, who heard the knowledge of the truth and rejected it, such as they. Verse 51, Jesus proceeds to offend them. Notice this, Jesus proceeds to offend them. Jesus does not withdraw, he does not mitigate his words, but he proceeds to tell them what they need to hear. And what is it? Verse 59, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps my word, keeping his word is akin to believing and obeying. That's what he means. To keep means to obey. Whether that's the first obedience, repent and believe in the gospel, or subsequent repentance and obedience throughout the Christian life, that's what it means to keep his word. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. That is... An amazing statement to make. Who in the world could ever say that to anybody else? If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Whoever would say such a thing has to be either God himself or a lunatic. Correct? Either the Lord himself, the Lord God himself, or either a crazy man. If you keep my word, you will never see death. If we know who the speaker is, if we know who it is that's saying it, then we'll have the right reaction to it. We'll believe it. But if we don't know who the speaker is, if we don't believe in the identity and ministry of the speaker, in this case Christ, then we're going to consider him a crazy man, a madman, a lunatic, or demon-possessed. Never see death? Never experience death? Never have that in my life? We know what he means, right? Does he mean you will never physically die? Or does he mean you'll never spiritually die? Meaning, never be thrown into hell for eternal punishment in that lake of fire and brimstone. What does he mean? He doesn't mean the physical part because there are many who die physically, right? Even the righteous die physically. The Christians of the Old Testament died physically, most of them, except for Enoch and Elijah. But all of them died physically. The righteous did. He doesn't mean that. He even has been preaching his own death. He's been preaching his own physical death, right? Christ has, throughout the book of John, He doesn't mean it that way, that you'll never see death. But when people are not thinking rightly, they are not thinking with a sound mind, a sober mind, about the issues, they will come up with all kinds of excuses to misinterpret the words of the speaker, in this case, Christ. They will find all kinds of ways to fault-find the words of the speaker. When they don't want to submit to what is being said. And that's what they do. Verse 52. Verse 52 the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. They don't back off, they dig in their heels and accuse him of being demonically possessed. You have a demon. Now we know, we have certainty. Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. To taste death or to see death means to experience death. It's a it's a Hebraism or a Hebrew way of referring to the experience of death. To see death or to taste death. Jesus was saying that. They reject it, accuse Him of being demon-possessed, and then they illustrate with Abraham and the prophets they all died which is true they all did die with the exception of Enoch and Elijah it's interesting that they don't bring up Enoch and Elijah they don't ask him about that they just assume that he doesn't know what he's talking about but didn't Elijah in 2nd Kings chapter 2 didn't he predict that he himself would not die to Elisha the prophet, his successor? In 2 Kings 2, Elijah did so. So it's interesting, they didn't bring up Elijah, who knew he was not going to die physically. Since they took Jesus to mean physical death, they didn't even bring up Elijah. They just brought up Abraham and the prophets, assuming, concluding, that all the prophets were that way, but not with Enoch, in Genesis five twenty one to twenty-four, and not with Elijah in Second Kings chapter two. So, further, verse fifty-three, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died, the prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Surely you are not greater than Abraham and the prophets? Yes, we know that they died. What do you mean, surely you are not greater? This is the problem. If they don't acknowledge who Jesus truly is, they're not going to believe what He says. If they don't believe who He truly is, they won't believe what He says. Has He not been already explaining to them who He is? Didn't the eleven disciples already confess that earlier in the book of John? Didn't John the Baptist already preach that earlier in the book of John? And and during the whole ministry of John the Baptist? They were all acknowledging, they all knew who he was, and they were telling the other people who he was. Then when Jesus himself began his ministry, he was telling people who he was. He was clearly doing so. In John chapter 4, he clearly announced that he was the Messiah, the Christ, to the woman at the well in John 4. And then she went and told the, the people in the village, the Samaritans in her own village, who he was. And then they came out looking for him. So the word was spreading. He's been telling them who he is and was throughout this book. In John chapter 5, he even said, My father's working until now and I myself am working. Did they understand what he meant? John five seventeen and 18? Yes, they understood what he meant. Because they wanted to kill him for saying those words. They knew what he meant. So here, they are so blinded by their refusal to believe that they say, Whom do you make yourself out to be? You could not in any way be greater than Abraham and the prophets. Well, they knew from their own teachers that the Christ, the coming Christ, would indeed be greater than Abraham and the prophets. They already knew that. But here they're saying, certainly this fellow, this fellow born in Bethlehem, this fellow born in Nazareth, this fellow ministering in Galilee, this fellow who's a no-namer from an obscure place, he couldn't be uh, anyone of importance. He could not be the Christ. That's the way they falsely conclude. That's why they say, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham. 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. He who is seeking after his own will would not talk the way Christ talked. He clarifies that. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. I am not here for my own purposes. I am not here to do my own will. I am here to glorify my Father. If I were here for selfish ends, I could say all kinds of things and I could win your favor. But I'm not here trying to win your favor, saying whatever is pleasing to your ears. I am here to do the will of Of my Father. I am here to glorify my Father. Notice the words. My Father. Those are the very words in John 5.17 that made them understand that Jesus was claiming deity, unique relationship with God the Father that they did not have and they wanted to put Him to death. He does the same here. My Father who glorifies me. I know that Father. I have a right relationship with that Father. And you say, He is our God. So now the problem. If Jesus belongs to God the Father, and they claim to belong to God the Father, why is it that they're fighting each other? Why is it that there is this contention? Why is it that Jesus has to go on and on to explain the truth to them, but they refuse to believe the truth. They refuse to believe Him. Why does it go on and on? The answer, verse 55, And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. You have not come to know Him. You claim to know God. You claim to be the physical and spiritual descendants of Abraham, but you're not. You have not come to know God. I do know God, you don't know God. That's why the contention is there. That's why they refuse to believe the true word. And further, not only does Christ say why it is they don't believe, but notice this. They insulted him, And now he's throwing it back on them. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Who is the liar? If you have two assertions diametrically opposed to each other, somebody's telling the truth and somebody's telling a lie, right? And Jesus now, he tightens the screws on them by saying, If I say I don't know him, then I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Both cannot be true at the same time. So Jesus therefore calls them liars. He calls them liars and he the speaker of truth. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John. And chapter 5, verse 10. 1 John five, 10. We'll read 10 to 12. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that he has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. God has witnessed, God has testified, God has spoken the truth. He has spoken this truth by the word of Christ. Christ was speaking to them, telling them the truth. So either they believe Christ, and if they believe Christ, they believe God. Or they disbelieve Christ. They refuse to believe in Christ. And if they refuse to believe in Christ, they make Christ a liar. And by that, they make God the Father a liar. So who is the liar? Is the liar the one who refuses to believe the truth? Or is it God? Or is it Christ? Who is the liar? You see how the Bible makes it either one way or the other. There is no room... For uncertainty, there's no room for gray area on this matter. Either we believe the truth or we don't believe the truth. One or the other. Verse 56, John 8:56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham. Firstly, Jesus knows that they are descendants of Abraham. He means your father Abraham physically. I know you are in the bloodline of Abraham. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody is denying that. The problem is you have false assurance on the basis of that. You think because you are of Abraham's genealogy, Abraham's descendants, because you are among his descendants... You think that that's your guarantee that you're going to heaven. When that is no guarantee. That's no guarantee. So he acknowledges again in 56, your father Abraham. However, the contrast between the physical father Abraham and the spiritual father Abraham. There is a contrast between the physical and the spiritual. Well, what did the spiritual Abraham do? The Abraham who was a true believer. He rejoiced to see my day. He rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Emphasizing the fact that Abraham was overjoyed. He was overjoyed to see the day of Christ. He actually saw it. He actually saw it And he saw it from a distance. Abraham lived 2,000 years on the earth before Christ came in his first coming. 2,000 years before the coming of Christ. So what is it that Jesus means? That Abraham saw. Abraham rejoiced and was glad. What does he mean? He means that the gospel was preached... To Abraham. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. He's saying that from a distance, 2,000 years in advance, the gospel, the true gospel, that is the death and resurrection of Christ, it was preached to Abraham. He saw that and he believed in that. What was unseen was believed. Galatians 3, 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. You see in verse 8, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. The gospel. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, 6-10, already said that there's only one gospel. Only one gospel. And he who preaches a different gospel is under a curse. So, does the gospel of Galatians include the death of Christ, resurrection of Christ, forgiveness of sins, the giving of the Holy Spirit? Does it include all that? Yes. For, he says, in 3.13, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The gospel that Paul defines in this letter to the Galatians is, is a gospel that includes the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So then, when he says the word gospel in Galatians 3.8, he is meaning the gospel that Abraham believed was looking forward, anticipating the day that Jesus would die and rise again for Abraham's sins. Jesus of Nazareth, dying and rising again for Abraham's sins. That is the gospel that he saw from a distance. But not only Abraham. Yes, Abraham is the supreme example of Scripture that the Scripture uses to help us understand this truth. But he's not the only one who saw it. Who else saw it? Matthew 13 Matthew 13:16 and 17 Who else saw what Abraham saw? Who else rejoiced in what Abraham rejoiced? Who else was forgiven and justified, adopted, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, just as Abraham? Matthew 13:16 But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. There are three groups in this passage. Three groups of people in this passage. He announced the parable of the sower to the multitudes. Right? To the multitudes, the parable of the sower. The multitudes did not comprehend what he was talking about. They were present physically to hear the words of Christ, but they did not comprehend it spiritually for their salvation. The multitudes. That's the first group. Physically present, spiritually absent the multitudes. Then, a small group of disciples is instructed in verses 10 to 17. Matthew 13, 10 to 17. The small group of disciples, a smaller group, is instructed. That small group of disciples, to them it was granted to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It was get granted to them. They experienced hearing the words of Christ physically, audibly, and spiritually, they believed it. The present group of small disciples, small group, they heard it physically, they believed it spiritually. But then there's a third group Jesus means here, verse 17. Truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is it that the many prophets and righteous men desired? Why would they desire it? Because they saw it from a distance. They heard it from a distance. They believed it spiritually, but they didn't actually hear Jesus on the earth preaching and teaching. They didn't actually see Jesus on the earth performing miracles and vindicating himself by his death and resurrection. They didn't see those things but they saw those things spiritually from a distance, but not physically. They are the many prophets and righteous men, which includes Abraham, but many others. They are the ones who believed in this one gospel. One gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus meant that, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day And he saw it and was glad. The Jews don't understand this. Verse 57. John 8 57. The Jews in Jesus' day, but in every age, every period of time, they don't understand it. Not only the Jews, but also Gentiles. They don't understand, they don't believe it. Verse 57. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? It's true, Jesus was not yet 50 years old. He was above 30 years old. He was about 33 years old about this time. So he wasn't 50. They use a round number. You're not even 50. How could you see Abraham who was living 2,000 years ago? The reason they say this has to do with how in the world did Abraham hear the gospel back then, if he never physically saw Christ and he only anticipated what Christ would do by dying and rising? How did he hear about it in the first place? Who told Abraham? Who taught Abraham? Jesus implies that he himself did. He implies it and then explicitly he says so in verse 58. Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. He didn't say, Before Abraham was born, I was born. He didn't say, Before Abraham was born, I was. He does not say, Before Abraham was born, I have been born or anything like that, or I had been born, nothing of that sort. He uses this curious little phrase, I am. It's curious because nobody speaks that way. Nobody asserts himself that way. We wouldn't do that. If we were speaking properly, we would not say I am. We would say before Abraham was born, I was born. So forth. We would say something like that. Why then did Jesus say, I am? And why is it that they're offended, verse 59, that they want to kill him? The reason is Jesus is teaching that he is the I am of Exodus chapter 3, 14 and 15. He is teaching that. Let's turn to that passage Exodus chapter 3. This is the well known burning bush incident. Moses is in the desert. There is a bush. It's burning, but it's not consumed. It's not being annihilated, obliterated by the fire. It's still in its normal condition, though there is a flame there. It's a flame, it's a blaze, but it's not being consumed. Well, who was there speaking to Moses? from the burning bush. Who was there in the burning bush speaking to Moses? It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of the Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush." And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Verse 2 says, the angel of the Lord. The angel or messenger of the Lord. This angel, we will see, is the Lord himself. The messenger is the Lord himself. The Bible uses this phrase, this unique phrase in the Old Testament, angel of the Lord, to refer to Jesus Christ when he was not yet in his incarnate state, the pre-incarnate Christ. Before he was born into the world, he would appear in the world in certain miraculous ways, sometimes in human form, And at other times, in different forms like this. Like in the burning bush in a blazing fire. He appeared to Moses this way. How do we know it is God and not a mere created angel? A created being kind of angel, which is all the rest of the angels. How do we know that this is God, and therefore it's Christ who's claiming to be speaking to Moses? And we'll see in a moment also to Abraham. We're still in Exodus 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. It says, the Lord, that is Yahweh or Jehovah or I am. That's how this word in the original language is translated. Sometimes it's the Lord like this. I mean, most of the time it's the Lord this way. At other times it may be translated Yahweh, I am, or Jehovah. Here, the Lord is there. God is there from the midst of the bush. In verse 2 it said that this messenger of the Lord was in the midst of the bush. Now it says God is there in the midst of the bush. Verse 5, he said... Does your Bible have a capital H? If so, that's because it's saying it's a reference to God. A capital H. He said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of. A- I'm, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. God said in 6, I am. He doesn't say, thus says the Lord, I am. He just says, I am. I am the God of your Father. And Moses knew who was speaking from the bush because the text says he removed his sandals. The text says that he he hid his face. It says he was afraid to look at God because if he looked at God, he might die. So he hid his face. Verse 7. And the Lord said, from the bush, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. I have come down. Come down from where? From heaven. Christ is saying, I have come down from heaven... I'm here in this bush. I'm speaking to you, Moses. I'm now calling on you, Moses, to be the leader of the people, to go to Egypt and deliver my people from Egypt. It continues. Verse 9. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people... The sons of Israel out of Egypt. But God. But Moses said to God. To whom? To God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Verse 14. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. Nobody speaks this way. It would be improper grammar to speak this way. Unless... This grammar is used for the purpose of asserting the unique divinity, unique deity of the speaker. This is who I am, this is my name, and this is what you should tell the sons of Israel in Egypt. They will recognize, when you say that, that their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worshipped this very same God, the God who appointed Moses to deliver the people. This is what you should say. So this is the I Am who also appeared to Abraham. In several instances in the book of Genesis, He appeared to Abraham. The, the most common example is, and famous example is Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, God along with two angels, Christ along with two angels appeared to Abraham and Abraham and Sarah prepared a meal and then Abraham and they ate and then Abraham is before the Lord this same Lord I am Yahweh Christ having this dialogue where Abraham petitions the Lord not to sweep away the righteous in Sodom with the wicked and God says okay if there's 50 I won't do it and they go down all the way to 10 when Abraham had that dialogue that petition before the Lord it was the Lord Christ it was the Lord Christ. And that's what Jesus means here in John 8. This is who I am. But they don't believe it. Verse 59. John 8:59. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Instead of believing it, instead of inquiring, Show us from the Scriptures. Did you notice that too? Throughout this whole passage, they never say, can you give us a Scripture and prove it from the Scriptures? Because they're not interested in the Scripture. They're just interested in retaliation and throwing Jesus' words back on Him and denying Him, looking for excuses not to believe. They don't do that. Instead, they want to murder Him. They want to martyr Him. They picked up stones. Because... They didn't believe in his deity, his divinity, therefore they wanted to put him to death. According to the law of Moses, if one blasphemed God, and certainly claiming to be God when you're not God, would be an insult against God, would it not? So the penalty for blasphemy against God would have been the death penalty. The death penalty... Such as Leviticus twenty-four, sixteen. Leviticus twenty-four, sixteen. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Leviticus 24, 16. This is why they wanted to put him to death. The law said to do so. However, they misapply it. If Jesus is actually God, they should not put him to death, but they should honor him, worship him, believe in him as God in human flesh who came to die for their sins. Since they reject that, they retaliate by seeking to put him to death. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. When the right time comes, Jesus will die. When the right time comes, Jesus will not resist arrest. In John 18, the right time did come. The mob came with clubs and swords, and the mob arrested him, and he did not resist. At this point, he resists because it's not his time to die. Remember, John He constantly says, For his hour had not yet come. Which means, at the right time, at the appointed time of God the Father, he will die. In the meantime, he resists persecution, he resists being put to death. Well, what have we learned from this passage? We have learned that the unbelievers, they will rail against the truth, and the messengers of truth. They will say all kinds of harsh things. They will taunt us. They will mock us. They will do these things to us when we speak the truth. But what should we do? Should we cower in fear? Should we run away? Should we mitigate the truth? Or just speak it as it is? We should speak it as it is, just as Christ our Lord did. Furthermore, we have to make clear to them that there is always a distinction between that which is true and that which is false. If two people are speaking on a matter, they both cannot be true at the same time if they contradict each other. If they contradict each other, somebody's telling the truth and somebody's telling a lie. We can't have it both ways. Jesus did not let that happen. We cannot let that happen. We're supposed to follow Christ, are we not? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I have given you an example that you should walk in my footsteps. He gave us an example that we should be just like him. We must make distinctions, either for righteousness or for wickedness. And then in this last section, 56 and following, 56 to 58, we saw that there's only one gospel in the whole Bible. The Bible is not to be chopped up and divided into various dispensations, one way in the Old Testament to be saved or multiple ways in the Old Testament to be saved and then one or two or three ways in the New Testament to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. We must believe in Jesus Christ. The whole world must believe in Him. We must preach the Gospel that way. They are under obligation when they hear this one word, One true gospel to believe it. And then finally, we saw that Christ, He was content to do the will of the Father. When He did the will of the Father, He preached the truth. Yes, He resisted death, He resisted persecution until the right time. And we should do the same. It's not a virtue to go headlong and headstrong into a dangerous situation. It's not a virtue, biblically speaking. Sometimes Christians think they're going to be martyred and they're going to get a better reward in heaven by acting like a fool. But Jesus didn't teach us to do that. Yes, we need to be courageous. Yes, there might be the potential of harm. But we shouldn't go into a blatantly dangerous situation and put ourselves in jeopardy. Jesus didn't do it. We shouldn't do it. But at the right time, God may take us away that way. And if so, he does so. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.